In today's episode of the Work Sleep Podcast, I want to do something a little different. So first off, if you've been tuning into the previous episodes, thank you very much. I've given you some tips about how to change up your resume, some tips about how to conquer the career fair. In the last episode, I also talked about, well, failure and how much it sucks. But at the end of the day, it's not that big of a deal. In today's episode, I want to do something slightly different. I want to start a new mini-series called Study Break. And the purpose of this mini-series is to interview individuals from all over the world from different backgrounds and to see how engineering is related to certain topics of the world, such as politics, art, photography. It could be anything, really. So today, I have a very special guest. His name is Michael Iverson, and he's a political activist. Today, Michael and I dig deep to see how engineering is related to society. We talk about femoralization, climate change, politics, and so much more. Please stay tuned. This is going to be a good episode. So, Michael, thank you so much for coming on to the show. And I guess, who is Michael Iverson and what can you tell the people out there? Sure. Uh, yes. So, my name is Michael Iverson. Uh, I'm part of a small group of people in Sioux Falls currently. We're called the Sioux Falls Left Coalition. And uh, we're just a group uh, of people uh, that are currently right now, we're just getting together and we're doing like book readings in town, but we're trying to kind of organize people in town, you know, politically and just kind of, uh, uh, you know, just try to meet people, but then we're also trying to do things for the community, like, um, like, uh, making food available for people or hand food out if that, if they need that, um, something we're going to be looking to do in the future with some other people, um, is, uh, giving out, uh, Narcon. Uh, which is, if you're not familiar with what Narcon is, essentially it's like, uh, it's an over the counter medicine, uh, that you, that someone can take if they are like overdosing. Okay. Uh, on really any, on any kind of, you know, substance, they can take Narcon and then that will help like stabilize them. Uh, and so a friend of mine brought that up to me recently. Telling me that that was kind of an issue that he was uh, concerned about, so that's something that we were kind of going to work with. So, yeah, and uh, just kind of a, I'm just uh, mostly a, I don't know what you'd call it, a political analyst, or uh, you know, I like to read and I like to analyze a lot of the social uh, social happenings, or just a lot of things grounded in sociology or. Uh, politics and also, you know, uh, technology. I like and how they all kind of mesh together. First off, how do you pronounce this word? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's actually a pretty long word, and it's funny because when you type it in anywhere, if you try to type it, uh, it'll say it'll say that you it'll basically say it's not a word. Okay, <laughs> all right. Because I've because I've typed it into my phone before, and it's like, no, that's not a word. You know, it has like that red line underneath the word. Right, right. Um, okay, so so the way you pronounce it is ephemeralization. Ephemeralization. 
ephemeralization. All right. So, Michael, what is ephemeralization? Because I have no clue what that is. <laughs> so, ephemeralization, uh, it was originally coined by an architect. His name is Buckminster Fuller. Uh, so if anyone's interested in uh, re- in reading, um, you know, uh, he definitely wrote a lot about architect, but he also wrote a lot about uh, technology and how it kind of uh, uh, relates to kind of human activity. But uh, ephemeralization is uh, essentially means to do more and more with less and less. Okay. It is that's basically a uh, uh, very general way of saying it. Um, so. In like a in an everyday kind of sense, what does ephemeralization look like? Uh, so the very first thing that comes to mind would be computers. Right. Uh, is so the fact that uh, even 10, 20, 30 years ago, the types of technology or even just basic computers that we have uh, have gradually become smaller, uh, more powerful, have taken less resources to make. Uh, so like take, take, uh, this phone, for instance, you know, that I'm talking into, mm-hmm. uh, this, fo- the phone, uh, is, uh, practically infinitely more powerful than a computer from 20, 30 years ago. For sure. You know, it, yeah. It'll do, it'll do, it'll do more than a computer, uh, you know, from maybe the late nineties could ever do. It has more storage, more power, more everything, but it's taking up less space. And it takes less material to produce. Right. Um, so that's like a really basic uh, example of ephemeralization. Okay. So is this something, is this just kind of a term that kind of just like relates technology and um, efficiency? Like is this term just kind of describes that process? Like, you know, looking back in the past, it's like, oh, we've we've kind of noticed that you know, as technology emerges, things are getting way more efficient, things are becoming more simple, things are becoming more smaller. So is this term kind of just, you know, describing that process? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I would, I would definitely say that it's just describing the, what, what, what we would probably say the natural process of technology, mm-hmm. which is to always improve upon itself. Uh, now where, where the political side comes into it is that there is a lot of, political or economic reasons uh, that impact ephemeralization. Okay. Um, so like if we're talking about, let's say, um, I'm trying to even think like, uh, like automation. Sure. So if we talk about like automation, um, so ephemeralization would, would, uh, would kind of relate to automation in the sense of, I guess, if we're talking about like labor, uh, because as you've noticed, like over the last, uh, over even the last, uh, you know, hundred years or 50 years, we've been able to produce more with, uh, less labor with mm-hmm. less materials. So we've been able to produce with, you know, more in less time. Uh, we're reaching a point now where labor, especially human labor is kind of becoming this, uh, superfluous thing. Sure. Where, where we we, it's possible to transcend beyond uh, the manual labor, the human uh, labor aspect of work, and to automate a lot of 
a lot of jobs uh, and things like that to to an aspect where they're safer. We would even be able to produce even more under automation. But our current economic system seems to be limiting that uh, because of how it's sort of organized. Because okay. we, I mean, because in our current economic system, you know, people need to make money. Right. Uh, so people need to make money so they can pay their rent, pay their mortgage, buy groceries, you know, pay their car payment, you know, what have you. The problem that we're running into now is that um, if you automate a job and you take that circulation of money out of the basically the circulation, so, you know, because you have money that's constantly circulating between consumers and companies, and it's just kind of this big circle. Uh, well, if you automate a job, then that essentially takes that money out of the uh, the circulation system. Okay. This is what happens. So, so it's, it's, it's almost like a contradiction that we're running into now because we're, we're definitely at a point in society with technology where we – could absolutely automate uh, a lot of jobs. There's even right. been, uh, there was another artist, or not artist, excuse me, author. Uh, his name is David Graeber, and he wrote a book uh, last year, and it's called uh, Bullshit Jobs. Mm-hmm. And he talked about how we have a lot of jobs these days that essentially are just busy work. Right. They're like the, yeah, they're just like those tedious yeah, it's well. I think I I definitely have observed that too. I'm pretty sure a lot of people. It's like you know you have these tasks that are just repetition. You're just doing the same thing over and over again. And there's so many times where you just like sit back and be like, why can't a, a machine do this? I'm literally just pressing this button over and over and over again. Exactly right. Um, and I would say the reason why that job has not been automated yet is because there is, there's a certain relation to, uh, between an employer and an employee. Okay. And so what that comes down to a lot of times is that, uh, so I'll take me for example. So like me as an employee, um, my job, my job exists to make my employer a profit. Okay. So, so the amount that I'm paid per hour to do my job, uh, the amount that I'm paid per hour is is always going to be less than I produce every hour Mm -hmm. because my employer will need to make a profit on my work. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, I understand that. So it's like, it's more of, you know, when you think of as an employer, the employee is like the asset that the employer is investing in, you know, like the employee is an asset where, um, instead of, I guess, relying on machinery or relying on technology, you hire employees to do those tasks for you in some way. It's kind of like you're diminishing the value of that person as into like, they're kind of just like a thrown away object that they could be replaceable. Do you feel that way? No, not necessarily. Uh, uh, it, it definitely feels that way in in our current economic system. You know, in our in our capitalist economy. You know, that's that's the way that 
it appears mm-hmm. because uh because labor has become like this this thing that is uh that doesn't create a lot of meaning for people um now that's not to say that it doesn't create meaning for anybody because it you know it does and I'm and there are millions of people out there who love doing what they do um but there are i th- i think w- back to graber i think he talked about i remember he did the survey and he was looking at numbers of the amount of people that feel like their jobs are either not necessarily replaceable but they just feel like their job ha- doesn't create any value right and i believe he said it was something around 40% of people feel that their job is useless or could be basically taken over by uh you know by automation or some kind of technology wow. and yeah so it's it's crazy because we're you know like i said we're reading we're reaching this kind of contradiction um in our society where so many people are starting to feel that way and yet the thing is is that if we automated all of those jobs the economy would collapse sure because now all of a sudden let's say 40% of people uh you know had their jobs automated i mean that would be that would be catastrophic to you know the economic system you'd have to mm-hmm. you'd have to do something to to mitigate it which a lot of people have uh a lot of people have contemplated the at like uh implementing a universal based income right in, right in place of that uh which that could be a good thing for short term it yeah. wouldn't fix it wouldn't fix the problem right so i guess uh when you say if we were so that 40% of people who feel undervalued and they're kind of just not content if we replace that 40% with ai automation technology you're saying that the economy will be will, will suffer. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Because all of a sudden now you have those forty percent of people that uh, they're not getting an income, right? And because because of the way our society is organized, where uh, you know we still treat basic human needs like housing, food, healthcare; these things are still a commodity. Yeah. that are bought and sold in, in the market, uh, then that 40% of people would, would absolutely suffer. You know, they would, uh, it, I'm, I'm not sure exactly what they would do. You know, not, they would have to go find uh, other jobs, but now all of a sudden you've cut 40% of those jobs out. So, you know, it would, it would definitely create some panic. Yeah, so, so adding to that, I mean, do you feel like what if it wasn't like, if you approach this situation with like a light dimmer kind of like an analogy, like you do like a light dimmer rather than like an on off switch, meaning like you're not going to replace 40% of that workforce overnight, but rather it's like a gradual stretch beyond maybe 10, 20 years where, you know, it's like you have small implementation of technology and AI year by year by year. And perhaps, I don't know, create new jobs for that 40%. Maybe those people would be able to, take care of that machinery maybe these people will learn how to work with that machinery do you think like that could also be another outcome uh it certainly could be i don't i don't know if you could make enough jobs 
for those 40% of people. Mm. Because another, like, so another problem that we're running into, uh, that's kind of pretty much been constant throughout, throughout history, uh, is, uh, it's a term called the falling rate of profit. So we, so essentially it's, it's, it, the name says it all. You know, we, we are always having this gradual falling rate of profit. And, you know, in labor and commodity production. So, and I think we're starting to see a lot of that now in the last few years too, because we're reaching a point where, uh, you know, let's, let's take a fast food worker, you know, um, a fast food worker that makes, you know, we'll, we'll just say $10 an hour, um, We'll say they make ten dollars an hour. Well, a lot of in a lot of cities, especially big cities in the United States, that's not nearly enough to even be able to live at all. You know, if even comfortably. So then, what you have is you have workers that are, uh, you know, attempting to unionize, uh, so that way they can all, uh, you know, get their wages up, or you know, they they can bargain collectively on behalf of all the workers with their employers. However, the the problem that we're running into is that a lot of times uh, for an employer, then it would be cheaper for that employer to just automate their jobs instead of paying them more money. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we're, we're starting to see that kind of come to the forefront, I believe as, as people, uh, as living situations and as, uh, just, um, income in general seems to be shrinking. Okay. We're starting to see that a lot more, but, that's that, and that's where, and that's where we run into that contradiction of, of people wanting to be paid more money for their labor, which I, I absolutely agree. I think, you know, everyone deserves to make a living wage, no matter what they're doing, you know, whether they're, uh, making a burger or whether they're driving an ambulance or, you know, they're, uh, whether they're doing construction, everyone deserves to make something so that they can live. Okay. So when we talk about ephemeralization, do we believe that is related to climate change at all? And uh, I guess what are your kind of perspectives on that? Do you feel like there is a relationship there? Um, so the way that I look at it um, is that, so so like we said earlier, ephemeralization is the process of doing more with less. Um, just recently we had, I believe it was a UN, like a UN uh, panel. Uh, they they had said that we like we as a as a society uh we have 12 years to get climate change uh like under control wow that really puts it in perspective when they put it in terms of years like that (laughs) yeah and and that's i mean that's 12 years to say if we don't do anything in 12 years then we can almost expect just a complete human extinction at that point um uh, jesus i i know it's 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 actually pretty alarming um we're in a we're at a point in society right now where i think no matter what we do 
we're going to see some form of climate damage in the future. Right. Even if, even if we were to, even if we were to, uh, to completely change our economic system tomorrow and move as far away as carbon emissions and move to self-sustainability as fast as possible. Um, even if we did that, I still believe we would see damage to the, you know, to our, to our world because, uh, you know, we're starting to see it right now. We're starting to see it right now because we've had, I believe, two hurricanes in the last three weeks in the United States. Uh, both of them on the East Coast. We've had two hurricanes there. Um, the Southern Hemisphere is going to be the most likely area to suffer any kind of drought or heat wave, anything like that. They're going to, you know, any any area on the Southern Hemisphere is going to experience that no matter what we do at this point. Um, so given that, and, and that's kind of how I come back to ephemeralization when we talk about climate change, because ephemeralization allows us to do uh, to produce more, to produce more food, um, to use less of the Earth's resources, and we can do, uh, we have more potential with less of the resources. And the thing, and the thing too there, is that we're constantly improving on that method too with right. ephemeralization. That's kind of the 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 goal of it. The goal of it is to get to a point where society uh is relying so little on natural resources or i should say it better this way should say that natural resources um are are uh they are um what am i trying to say here um it takes so little of it of natural resources to do so much because of you know our technological process, because of other maybe other other uh, elements that we've maybe created, sure to to replace those natural resources, sure. uh, that we yeah. would we we would reach a point where uh, where natural resources are almost uh, post scarcity, in a sense. Right. Yeah, I think I think. Yeah, I think, um, you know, that's where, once again, going back to engineering and our future engineers and scientists out there, it's like, you know, when it comes to the structure and the, I guess, the uh, the Bible of engineering or science is like, there's, there is no political agenda to it. It's more of like, you have these laws that you have to kind of play within. I mean, you can't mess with like Newton's laws of physics. You can't, you know, cheat the laws of thermodynamics or heat transfer and stuff like that. You can't cheat those things. So as an engineer, as a scientist, those are your constraints. And your goal is to take something that is modern that's happening to you right now or to society and to make it more efficient, to make it safer for civilization. The, I guess the purpose of an engineer is to serve your community not so much for profitability but it kind of goes back to uh i guess the the intention to benefit all and to make sure everyone is safe and 
Yeah, and I agree. It's it's you know, and that's also could also be kind of controversial nowadays too, because when people say, when we think about alternative energy sources, uh, people you know will raise arguments of well, you know, burning coal is also very bad. Doing this is also very bad. Doing that is also very bad. And I believe that is yeah, there's truth to that. But however, in order to make progress, you know, it's the funding and the research that needs to be invested in those alternative energies. You know, it's not so much of like, hey, oil's been working for us since the beginning of time. Let's just stick with oil because it's worked. It's one of those things. Oh, is is if it's not broken, don't fix it. And I feel like that is. Uh, I don't think that's the best way to kind of approach the energy problem. I feel like as engineers, um, in order to make progress in society, you need to look and be innovative at times when, you know, your materials and your natural resources are scarce. So I believe that, you know, if the community and I guess the general public invest more time and research into alternative energy, I, it's without a doubt that we will come up with some form of energy that is cleaner that has more power and is way more efficient than our current reliability on oil and gas. I mean, if that sounds too abstract, like flying to the moon sounded ridiculous years ago, <laughs> right? Or like the internet, the internet sound, the people, a lot of people believe the internet was just like a fad, you know, it was just like some trend, but it's like, Think about how much society has progressed over the last so many years. The idea of coming up with a clean, efficient fuel source, that is not impossible. I do not believe that is impossible. I feel like, you know, it needs that research and the funding towards those energy sources to actually come up with something actually work like reliable. Um, kind of, kind of going what you said earlier about like if we were to make changes tomorrow or the next minute to eliminate all of our, you know, natural gas or CO two emissions as humans produce when we burn oil and all that stuff, we will still see, you know, drastic change in the climate, and that's very, I believe that's very true because it doesn't things don't happen overnight. It's more of like the effects that we are seeing in our environment now are things that happened years ago that we did, you know, it's take, it's like a 10 year, maybe 20 year buffer or something like that. And I feel like the first step is to acknowledge that is real. Global warming is real. Climate change is real. I think that's the first step. But when you have division and just accepting that, when you have an overall consensus of scientists, I mean, just go onto NASA.gov. They have so many resources that are peer-reviewed, and it's all cited by scientists from all over the world. 95% of the consensus acknowledge that global warming and climate change is real. Right. Um, and another big thing to like to to touch on climate change too is that we uh so annually there's a there's a, a day every year that's called resource overshoot day uh and so that essentially means it's essentially the day that that we uh we exceed beyond we basically have used up all of the earth's resources for that for that year uh to a point where the earth cannot 
can't re or can't uh, regenerate or reproduce all of those resources that we used. Does that make sense? So, so like I'll put it in perspective. This year in 2018, uh, our our resource overshoot day was August 1st. So that means from January 1st to August 1st, we used we basically used up enough resources for the entire year in eight months. So that means now for all of August through December, we are using up more resources than the earth is producing. Mm. So like you're borrowing time or like you're reaching into the future and you're borrowing more resources in the future. Like you've already used up to the, the cap like you're on top and now you're just borrowing more exactly exactly and the the thing is that that's oh uh, you know unless we fix unless we fix our economic system um and especially our social relation like i think that's thing that's something that a lot of people tend to forget about is that um there's also there's a term uh called social ecology uh, and that was that was termed by a, a, a writer called Murray Bookchin, uh, and he talks in his book. Uh, he has a book called The Ecology of Freedom that I'm been reading recently, and he talks about how the like the way that we view nature as something to dominate, something to use and exploit for for our own gain is kind of shown in how we view each other. Mm-hmm. So he talks about the the he talks about hierarchy and how we feel like the uh we feel like we are um how should I say it? We're kind of here to dominate and to use earth and we're you know and so that and it's all kind of intertwined in how we view nature, how we view each other, and it all kind of intertwines and, uh, you know, works together in that kind of sense. So, uh, so, you know, if we, if we want to see any kind of change, especially drastic change, because that's what we need right now, uh, in order to, to prevent any kind of, mass extinction uh is we need to definitely change how how humans relate to each other we need to change our economic system we need to make it drastically more efficient uh you know we definitely need to get we need to move that way immediately uh you know we time is ticking you know time is time is definitely ticking um and the back to the problem with the resource overshoot is that it's only going to get worse every single year. Uh, and that's mostly just based on the fact that our economy always needs to grow. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the economy needs to grow every single year, uh, and it does. And it requires more and more resources to continue on. And so, you know, this year, yeah, our overshoot day was August 1st. Next year, it might be July 1st. Yeah. And then the year after that, it might be May 1st. Right. It's kind of like we're just living on borrowed 
time, really. We're borrowing money. We're borrowing resources. It's all just, we're just, we don't have it. We have to borrow it. Yeah. And here's the thing, too, is that I, I like, I feel like most people aren't actually happy with how how society is organized and, and how our economic system works. You know, like you can go up to a, any kind of working class person and be like, hey, do you like I feel like most people, if you went up to them and say, hey, do you like your job? Most of them would be like, yeah, it's OK. Or like, yeah, it's it's, it's good. You know, obviously other people are going to say, no, I hate it or, you know, oh, I love my job, you know you know but i feel like most people realize that there is something better there's a better way that we can organize society it's a better way that we can make make our society and make our economy work for everyone mm. but a lot of people just are confused and might not know what that is sure. um and also just the fact that that they again they feel very alone people feel very alone and they think, well, there's no way I can, I can change that, you know? So they just kind of just go along. Right. Yeah. That's fascinating. So, yeah. So you recently read the book, the new human rights movement by Peter Joseph. Um, I guess it's, did you feel like after reading that book, did you feel like, I don't know, did that kind of piece together a lot of these thoughts that you've had? when it comes to technology and society, or I guess like, uh, how did this book kind of transform you after completing it? Did you kind of look at things a little differently? Yeah, I started to look at things uh, a, a bit differently. Um, it, maybe not necessarily different uh, like politically, but it helped It helped me realize that things, like the the society that that we would like to see is really not that far off and it's really not that hard to accomplish. It's just the problem that we're running into is there is, uh, we're, we're running into the, into a few different problems. Um, one of them is that you have a society that feels so completely alienated from each other these days that attempting to kind of organize and bring about any kind of social change is becoming increasingly hard because everyone's busy either uh, working. You know, there are a lot of people that have uh, one, two, maybe even three jobs just so they can survive. Um, people are busy working. People are busy taking care of their families. Um, and so that that leaves people not a lot of time to try and organize to try and fight for uh, better social progress, better worker workers progress and, you know, and workers rights and things like that. Um, so I think the biggest thing that the book did for me in general was maybe give me uh, a different, um, I should say like a different viewpoint in bringing up conversation with people sure i think is is what it did because uh what it really showed me was the possibility of like a of, of a society where we don't we don't have uh money so you know we we 
we don't we we don't uh, rely on a fiat currency or any kind of currency really because even at this point in time in in our society right now we have we have enough food to feed you know every single person in the world uh i i've read a few different articles and i think these days people typically estimate we have we make enough food in a year to feed about 10 billion people wow yeah and we're coming up on 8 billion i believe yeah um, i guess like that doesn't even consider the amount we're wasting exactly i yeah. and I, there have been you know a mountain of other studies that have been done and i think uh at, at the most i believe i've seen about 40% of food is being wasted wow it's it's crazy yeah um and so it's not it's not a problem of we don't have enough to go around it's the problem that our distribution our the way that we have created a system of how people um get the products they need is not very efficient Sure. And we've and we've kind of made it into a system where um, the people who need the uh, the people who need the goods the most tend to be a lot of the people that don't have uh, you know they don't have any money and because we we require uh, some kind of currency to buy food to buy housing to buy medicine. Um, that kind of disenfranchises a lot of those people. Right. It kind of, yeah, it kind of seems like, I don't know, it just seems like no one can win. And it's like those who are kind of at this, I don't know, the chains of the employer, I guess. Like, how does that person, how does that person even get ahead? It's crazy. It's crazy to think about. It's like all all the things that you have to do to kind of just go by your day. It's like you're just working 40 times, 15 times more than, you know, someone that doesn't have to go through that work. And it's just that imbalance and the consistency, like the inconsistency, just because who you are in the social structure, when it comes to income, where you live, even, you know, a lot of other things factor into that. It's pretty unfortunate when you think about it that way. So when it comes to this book, The Human Rights Movement, I guess if you were to recommend this book to someone, who do you think would be interested in this book? Like, what kind of questions would they have? Um, I think this book would be geared towards people who are very frustrated with the current uh, economic or social order of things. And they're looking to read a book that helps explain it, not through a political eye, but more of a very scientific and fact-based uh, lens. Because he goes through the book and he explains a lot of different, uh, a lot of different things on certain social levels, on technological levels. Um, and he explains a lot of things, uh, as far as like, uh, even on a psychological level, like how humans deal with certain traumas and how that ends up affecting them 10, 20 years down the road. Sure. And, the reason why those are being it's all kind of one big web and that's that's i think that's the most helpful thing that i've learned over the last few years is that a lot of the problems in our society in our personal life they're all kind of intertwined 
So, like, let's say, for instance, you know, you have someone that is working and, you know, they're they're struggling financially. So you have someone that's struggling financially. Well, that ends up seeping over into their personal life and causes depression. It causes anger that leads to their relationships, their family, to their significant other. Exactly. And then so and now all of a sudden, because they've they've now stressed those social interactions they have, um, they may now uh, be feeling very alone. And now that they're feeling even more alienated from society, uh, you know, in terms of social uh, social interaction and also uh, just on a worker exploitation level, uh, that does some pretty profound things to like the human psyche. Yeah. And I imagine so. Yeah. And so that's, and so when we talk about that and when we realize, you know, that a lot of these problems are, uh, are related, like they're, they're all related. And a lot of them are not any one person's fault. Um, it really brings a lot of things into perspective. Sure. I think I, I think that last thing you said is um, when you realize it's not one person's fault. Because I feel like when you're in that situation, um, you put the blame on yourself, and that's like the worst thing you can do. You know, it just it just freaking adds on top. It's just on top of each other. It doesn't stop. And I think when your mind and that voice inside your head is against you, I think that is I don't know. I think that's like near rock bottom. Really. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and and I mean, we built an entire, we built an entire social system on blaming, uh, people on uh, blaming people for personal responsibility, um, for just about anything. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, there's a certain level of social of personal responsibility that people need to take for, you know, actions in their own life. But when when we look at people who are poor, and people that are, uh, you know, financially struggling. And we look at them and we say, well, it's because of their own personal responsibility that doesn't even take the whole entire picture into perspective because you even have a lot of, uh, you have a lot of social reproduction right. where, where, you know, if, if your parents, if someone's parents were also struggling financially and they, uh, now all of a sudden that gets passed on to, uh, the children. And then we also have the problem where, you know, people that are, uh, how should I say affluent or people that are, you know, more in the upper class of the, of the stratification. Well, now those people are better off and they have a, a, a social advantage. So I guess when we talk about AI and technology for society, to kind of summarize it in two separate categories, let's first start off with the benefits. And what are some good examples of AI technology for society? What are some good benefits? Sure. Um, So a benefit right away with any kind of AI, uh, I would say, would be efficiency. So, you know, with AI, you're going to be able to do more in less time so it gives the uh the consumer the end user the person more time to do what they want to do what they do best 
Yep. Yeah. So let's like let's take um, the only the first thing that came to mind was like internet banking. So internet banking, you know, like years ago, you you people would have maybe called their bank and said, you know, instead and said, hey, what, you know, what's my balance? What's my account look like? Now people can just go on the internet, you know, through technology and, you know, artificial intelligence and they can look at that information. So it's, you know, you're able to do more with less time uh, for that. Um, I would also say that AI is also safer. So, you know, once you're taking, once you're taking that human aspect out of, uh, out of the portion of work, uh, you're, you're, you're going to be able to get consistent results with whatever, whatever workload that you're talking about, you know. Um, so if we're talking about manufacturing cars, cause I know a lot of time, and, and I believe a lot of times these days, uh, you're going to have some form of automation or artificial intelligence uh, in building cars. Yeah, that's a great example. I mean, some of the uh, when it comes to car manufacturing, I think Toyota was one of the first car manufacturers that framed uh, this process called uh, continuous improvement. It's called lean manufacturing. And essentially, Toyota uh, at the time, I think their factory is still in Japan or overseas. They're a car company that puts so much analysis and stress and detail into structuring their manufacturing plants. And they became they came up with these processes and these uh, different checklists to efficiently make a car from start to finish. And that process turned into this uh, kind of idea of continuous improvement, lean manufacturing. And that's more of like an engineering, industrial engineering type of uh, um, practice that is in almost every industry nowadays, airplanes, cars, uh, food, you know, and it's just crazy. Like when you think about the engineering side, that was always kind of the point of engineering. Let's make something more efficient. Let's make something safer and so forth like that. So I guess, uh, yeah. So we talked about the benefits and some examples there. What are some drawbacks? What are some negative things? I know you touched base on some of those before, but yeah, what are some negative drawbacks of AI and guess the technology in society? Yeah, so I, I still I feel like that is one of the most significant drawbacks. Uh, you know, to go back to that point is that, uh, you know, in our current economic system, is that when you when you automate jobs now, uh, you have a a portion of the working class that is now jobless; they're unemployed. Uh, and now they need to go find work elsewhere. Right. And I think that's kind of the main concern with a lot of people when it comes to this topic, too. It's usually the jobs. And uh, I don't know. Can you think of any examples that we've already seen that's already kind of happening with the implementation of AI? Um, I'd say the biggest one that I can maybe notice recently would be the the use of kiosks now in, like, in like fast food restaurants. Interesting. So we started to see that the last couple of years. Uh, and I think a lot of that came about in part because of, uh, because of workers wanting to get better wages. And so then that was kind of, I think, I think that was McDonald's response, uh, to that was that, well, do you guys want better wages? Well, we're just going to automate your job instead of, you know, instead of paying a, a better wage to some of their workers. So, uh, yeah, 
That's at least that, that's the that's the most prevalent one or the one that I can think of right off the top of my head. Okay. So do you think do you think there's any type of social structure or like political ideology that embraces technology to allow it to flourish, but also influence and affect people in a good way? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I absolutely believe that there is uh, a an economic system that not only encourages technology and encourages using AI, uh, but all you know fully embraces that. Um, and I would say that that would be uh, the political ideology of socialism on a very big, big scale. I say that as a very big word, um, being as there's many, many different, uh, there's very many, there's many different tendencies underneath th- the, the umbrella of socialism. Sure. Uh, but at its core, at its core, socialism uh, advocates for workers' ownership of the means of production. So, uh, so basically, on a, you know, in very simple terms, that essentially just means that you know the workers control uh, their workplaces uh, instead of having a boss that tells them what to do and collects profit from them. Instead, the workers all work together to decide uh, what the business does and decide the direction the business goes in. And they all take part in the profit of the business. Sure. So I guess we kind of see some of that stuff today, I guess, like, you know, employee owned businesses. Would that be a good example? Uh, I would say the best example in the current uh, in the current climate would be like co-ops. Okay. So, so if you have something like a worker co-op uh, business, that would be pretty. Uh, that that'd be a pretty good example of how a business might run under uh, a certain kind of socialist economy. Would be that. So essentially, like let's take let's say you have ten workers uh, that work at uh, let's just say a bike shop. So you have a, you have this bike shop. Um, all ten workers. Uh, they're all going to have an equal voice in the business. Uh, so when it, when it comes to deciding anything about, you know, what direction the business goes in or anything like that, there's not one person making that decision. It's all, it's all 10 workers coming together and then voting, deciding what it is they want to do. Uh, so it's a very democratic process. Um, instead of the hierarchy that we see. A lot of times in businesses where you have one boss telling three other people to do something and those three people telling 10 other people Mm. to do something, you know, it's a very, it's a very top down system. Sure. So that kind of leads us to uh, the next part of this podcast is I kind of want to do a little thought experiment where if we take the current, I guess, rate of technology influence, like we know it's every year since like 2000, since the internet, technology has just been getting better, getting faster, and it's been crazy. It's like a crazy rate. So if we keep that, yeah, so if we keep this rate, let's imagine what, how society will turn out if it was a democratic society. Sure. Um, Now define democratic society. So, so I guess, um, bluntly like liberal, left. 
Okay. Um, so if we were talking about a liberal, a liberal society, um, I'd say the best example that I could give would be something like a Scandinavian country. So we're talking about a country that still works within the confines of a, a capitalist economy. They're still working inside of that, uh, construct. Uh, but they're making things, uh, better for their citizens. You know, they're gonna, they're basically, basically the standard of living will be much better. That's kind of the, that's kind of the, the first example I can think of off the top of my head for something okay. like that. Alright, so now let's shift it to the other side. What if we analyze it through like a Republican lens? Sure. Uh, so basically like a, a right leaning. Yeah. Um, so if we were to do something like that, I believe that we would, we would see more of the current trajectory that we're on, uh, as far as social organization of society. Um, and by that, I mean that we would see, uh, the, the social stratification between uh between the ruling class or like the you know the the owners of business the people who own the property um i believe we would see a you know an increasing division between those people and the working class so it would just kind of start to exacerbate itself and just continue to get worse as far as the division between between not only the classes, but then also the division between individual people. So sure, and I guess for the last thing is like, can you think of a different type of political ideology? Whether that's like, I don't know, something like anarchism or something kind of abstract of sorts? Because we talked about you know liberal, we talked about the right wing, we talked about even socialism. Is there something else that we could probably look at this in a different lens? Yeah, so there's a. I'll kind of throw a name out there too because there was a, a there was a video series that a YouTuber did recently, and he's kind of broken up into a few different sections. Uh, and his, his YouTube name is Non Compete, and and he analyzes society as far as like well how would we work in an anarchist society and that tends to be i would say anarchism uh is where i would maybe fall under a little bit more and so if we were to look if we were to look at how an anarchist society would would organize uh and even technology in general uh what we would see is uh, technology would be fully embraced, you know, under under that kind of society. Because uh, so, in an anarchist society, you know, we we would uh, we would not have any kind of currency, so it would be moneyless, um, and it would also be a stateless society. So you wouldn't have any kind of uh, you know government entity. Uh, you would still have government, you know, like the process. Uh, mm -hmm. but however, as the entity that we have, you know, today that kind of looks over everything and regulates everything, um, that would not be there. Uh, 
And the big thing that, that anarchism focuses on is the belief in mutual aid uh, and people working together to, you know, not only benefit the individual, but also society. So, you know, if we're talking about technology, then uh, uh, they would use technology to uh, the biggest thing would be to cut down on the amount of hours that people are working. So, uh, you know, because right now, currently we're working 40 hours a week. Uh, mm -hmm. And I've heard a lot of people theorize that if we were to live in like a, a fully anarchist society, uh, then we could potentially see the workload drop for pretty much everyone down to maybe 15 or 20 hours a week, you know, as far as, as, and we're talking about as far as necessary work that needs to be done, like to keep society running. Uh, because think about it this way too, any kind of monetary job that you have that would not, that wouldn't exist uh, any kind of, you know, and, and really the goal would be to automate as many jobs as possible so that people have the most amount of free time to you know do whatever it is they want you know right and right because then because then you're talking about if everyone if every person in society you know or, you know in a we'll say a commune um if everyone in like a, a commune is working three hours a day just to keep society moving uh so that way it doesn't completely just break down and and devolve well now all of a sudden so you work through you work through three hours and now you have the rest of the day to do whatever it is you want. Maybe sure. you want to, maybe you want to just hang out with your family all day, or maybe you want to take up painting or you want to take up, uh, some kind of engineering or you want to look into technology more. Uh, that would be your own leisure time. And that would right. be it's like you're you absolutely free to do. Yeah. You choose to do those things rather than you're forced to do those things. It's not right. a job. Yeah. Right. And that's the that's the big thing. And that's the thing that I uh that I like about anarchism is that the whole entire system of human interaction is based on uh not only consent but non coercion. So you have so that person, you're going to work for three hours, four hours a day. Uh, because not because someone told you you had to, because someone said, Hey, you have to go to work so you can make money. So then you can go spend that money on things, you know, on food or whatever, because all, also in an anarchist society, I mean, you, you know, food would be obviously readily available for everyone. Right. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, you're, you're going to work because that's something that you want to do that that you want to contribute to society uh and that's kind of the 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 big thing that i've uh started that i've appreciated about that is that is the 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 consent of not only society to work together but also the consent of the individual to be part of that society mm -hmm. uh and be, and if someone decides that they maybe they don't want to be part of 
a particular society or they want to maybe maybe they want to go live alone you know i believe that that would be in their own individual right to do that gotcha so i guess for our listeners to the podcast um what would you say to them if they're in that position right now where they are kind of not content with their job they feel like they're kind of outcasted what would be some things that you would offer advice to them what would be some things like hey you should go do this or hey you should you know do you have like a plan or a couple steps to kind of guide them into something better than they are like a better position that they are now than they are now yeah like as far as just understanding maybe like what like how to move forward yeah is that kind of what you're thinking um i so i think the first i think the first thing is that if you're not if you're not entirely sure what how do I say like if you're not entirely sure what you what a future can look like or you're maybe kind of confused maybe politically you're frustrated politically especially um and you feel like there's just not a lot of options and things like that I would definitely recommend reading the new human rights movement book um I I, I feel like that will that will kind of give you some kernel of hope is is my uh is what i'm what i'm hoping um the second thing i would say is just try to do a lot of you know studying or just just try and start to um maybe i mean the biggest thing i did is i started to read you know i started to read more um whether that was books or uh or started to read uh, you know, maybe news articles, not, not like, uh, not like major news articles. Sure. Sure. Talking about like, uh, you know, talking about like, uh, like independent, uh, and things like that. Um, because there are a lot of options out there, um, as far as any kind of ideology that you can maybe look into, uh, or even just ideas Mm -hmm. on, how on how we organize society in the future uh and i definitely think it's worth looking into them all and just taking in all the knowledge and then making making your own inferences uh making your own conclusions from from it all because uh, you know the last thing i want to do is sit here and and tell people you know be like hey you should be an anarchist (laughs) like like i like i want i want people to i want people to come to that conclusion on their own if that's what you know if that's what they want or if that's what they believe in uh but i definitely uh, i definitely would just encourage everyone to uh try and just gain gain knowledge a lot and just try and do that try and research um and second off if you you know if you do feel like uh, like getting uh active in your community go for it you know uh and the thing i think people i think a lot of people uh are in a position where they want to do something but they don't know how to do it or they don't know how to start and so the the chances of someone in your community or in your city feeling the same way as you do and having the same questions uh and 
wanting to find out the answers, there's a pretty good chance that there's a lot of other people where you're at that are feeling that exact same way. And so if you put yourself out there or you, you know, start a reading group or, you know, start, uh, start a, a group where you maybe go out and feed people or, you know, the possibilities are endless. You could really do sure. anything you want, yeah. but I would just say get active and, and, and just, uh, uh, realize that, that, uh, there are probably a lot more people out there that are in the same position as you are. That's, that's great advice. Um, the last podcast episode I did, I was talking about, uh, dealing with failure and it was kind of similar to what we just talked about here. It's like, um, being in a position where you feel like you're the only person dealing with this, you know, and to uh, first you need, the first thing you need to do is acknowledge that you're not alone. There's so many people out there who are facing the same struggles and the frustration that you are, uh, two is to take action, you know, I think uh, just sitting there and not doing anything is not going to help at all. You need to take some type of action, whether that's small or big. I don't know. Maybe tomorrow go for a walk. <laughs> Something simple like that, you know? Simply change it up a little bit. And then I think the one of the most important is uh, to educate yourself. Continually, you know, challenge yourself, challenge people's opinions and stuff like that. But just just act like a funnel of just all this knowledge and just go out there and grab all the resources you can. You have the internet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, I mean, I have found, I found a great deal of information on, I, in one of the most unlikely places that people would think, but, uh, uh a lot of information I found on Reddit. Reddit. Reddit is awesome. <laughs> Reddit's great. Uh, you know, it, the, uh, how should I say it? Each community on Reddit, every subreddit varies drastically, I think, mm -hmm. from, from the others. But, um, like, for instance, I, I, I look heavily at like the, uh, the anarchism subreddit. And then there's also anarchy 101. And, uh, I, I, I just, I like going to those subreddits and people have all kinds of questions and things like that, especially on Anarchy 101. People ask a lot of questions there and like, and everyone there is respectable, especially like if, and that's the biggest thing too, is like, if you go there and you're like, oh man, this question's dumb or something. It's just like, just ask it, you know, like people, people are very nice there. And they're, they're very informative and they'll give you a lot of like good links. They'll give you a lot of information. And the one thing I love about Reddit is like, even if they give you shitty information, it, it's going to be exposed. You know, people upvote and downvote. That's one thing I love about Reddit. It's so like self, it, it's self regulating. Like there's no police of Reddit. Right. And that right there is just such a great capture of the internet. There's no like overseeing police people are regulating themselves, you know? If someone's going to be posting something on Reddit about just complete bullshit that's not true at all, they're not going to be the top comment. They're not going to have the most upvotes. They will people will regulate that immediately. That's what I love about Reddit. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, Michael, crap, this whole podcast dug deep. We talked about femoralization. Did I say that right? Femoralization. Yep. Yes. We talked about <laughs> climate change. We talked about 
the Human Rights Movement by Peter Joseph. He's talked about AI and technology, how it affects society, the benefits, the drawbacks. We did a little thought experiment. So I guess to conclude, if people still want to know more about you or how they can contact you, uh, how do people do that? Sure. Um, so I would say that uh, if you go, you can go on Facebook and you can find uh, our our Facebook, our group. It's just called Sioux Falls Left Coalition. Um, and uh, there's also a blog we have that I try to post on every few days. I try to just write maybe like a small article of something. Um, so, if, yeah, if you want to keep up to date on uh, on that. You can always check us out there. Cool. You could tr- you could try and find me on Facebook if you want. <laughs> uh, there's probably uh, no Mike- there's probably a yeah. hundred different Michael Iversons, so uh, I, uh, I can't guarantee that you'll find the right one. There's a couple for sure. So if you liked Michael and I's conversations today, please feel free to subscribe to iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, what have you. I plan on delivering a lot more content in the near future, and I plan on inviting guests from all different types of backgrounds, disciplines, and I really want to understand how engineering is related to the modern day world. Until next time, thanks. Thanks.